Good morning. I consider it a great uh, privilege and uh, honor to be able to share with you this morning in this worship service. I think this is the first time that I have uh, preached here since we left about 15 years ago. However, during our annual visits, with the exception of last year, at the gracious invitation of Dee and uh, Jerry Sinke, uh, we have been able to keep somewhat current on what is happening here uh, during these intervening years, and uh, what we have witnessed has been most gratifying. It's um, wonderful to see that this uh, congregation still uh, provides a, a vital a ministry in the midst of this uh, Midland uh, community. And it's a genuine uh, delight for both Joanne and myself to be with you today. Let's pause in a moment of prayer for illumination. Holy and loving Father, calm our spirits, turn our thoughts to your majesty, and call us for a moment to set together in heavenly places with you. Reveal yourself to us through your word, and let us savor a foretaste of your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, we are undertaking to consider today clearly one of the most perplexing questions to confront humankind, namely, why does God hide himself? And there can be no doubt that God does hide, or at least is very often hidden from human view. The fact is that God has never been an obvious and demonstrable inhabitant of his universe so that we can locate him to everyone's satisfaction. Now, there are many things that we would expect to remain hidden from the majority of humanity, but surely not the hiddenness of God. God, we believe, is the most universal reality with which people have to uh, deal. The whole creation is his garment, is permeated by him, is the vehicle of his purpose and the revelation of his presence. We also believe that he is the most important reality with which we have to deal. Our well-being is wholly bound up in our uh, having a right relationship to God. And we believe that he is the most active reality with which we have to deal. He seeks people out, desires them to know him. And thus you would think that if there is one reality which could not remain hidden, which no one could possibly miss, it would be God. And yet does he not remain hidden sometimes to our great bewilderment and despair? Take the strange fact that it, is, uh, it seems possible for men and women to pass through this world and apparently miss God altogether. It's more than a little staggering bewildering that there should be so much irreligion in a world in which God is a fact. If God wants the company of like-minded children, if he loves the world so much that he gave his only begotten son to, to save it, if he wants to draw all people into an intimacy of his own family, why is it so easy for so many to go so casually on their way, totally oblivious and indifferent to his presence? 
But that's the way it is, isn't it? Multitudes today are walking about in the bright sunlight of God's world, watching the pageant of humanity at work and play, planning for the future. But God, God is nowhere in the picture. Is it not startling that God should be so unreal, so unimportant, so hidden from so many people? But the challenge of God's hiddenness is in, becomes in some ways even more difficult and puzzling in respect to those who are not irreligious. There are those who believe in God and want to know him and live uh, their lives in his light and by his strength. And yet from them also God often seems to hide himself. There are many expressions in the Old Testament of this disappointed and frustrated hunger for God, this dismay at his hiddenness and Silence. Job gives the classic instance. He cries, if only I knew where I could find him. But if I go to the east, he is not there. If I go to the west, I do not find him. When he is at work in the north, I cannot see him. When he turns to the south, I catch no glimpse of him. And the Psalms are full of the cry of the heart for a God who should, so to say, evidence himself more, both in the life of believers and in their life and experiences, and also to the unbelieving, scoffing world. The psalmist writes, as the deer pants after the water brook, so my heart pants after you, O God, while they, that is the pagan unbelievers, continually say to me, where is your God? Truly you are a God that hides yourself, exclaims the prophet Isaiah. And again, oh, that you would rend the heavens, that you would come down, that the mountains might tremble at your presence and cause the nations to quake before you. And this concern was not merely true of ancient times. It is equally true today. And it's my guess that most of us here have asked the question, why does God hide in some form or another in the course of our lifetime? Perhaps someone here is asking it right now. Oh, you may not come out with it in so many words, but it lurks in the back of your mind. For example, we confess, I believe in God, the Father Almighty. And yet things are happening in our world that no Almighty Father would tolerate, would he? What is God doing when men and women are mutilated and killed in senseless accidents and brutal crimes, when children are destroyed in a war that they could not begin to understand, when whole nations are swept on collision courses that every sane person wants to avoid? When indeed is God hiding, when those who are trained to trust him are forced to watch evil forces take command and seem themselves powerless against the tide of hatred, and corruption. All too often we look into human events, both past and present, and we find might triumphing over right, the race to the swift, and the battle to the strong. Truth on a scaffold and wrong on the throne. Christ in a manger or on a cross of all places and Caesar in a palace. Sometimes this world seems such an undisciplined madhouse and our personal lives so utterly at the mercy of faith that we're tempted to echo the bitter complaint of H.G. Wells who said of God that he is an ever-absent help in the time of trouble. Not always, obviously. 
But sometimes we feel that way, don't we? Well, it's a haunting problem, isn't it? And as old as the human experience of God. Now, there is obviously no quick and easy answer available, but at least we can make some attempts to discover certain basic biblical insights which help to relieve the agony and assist us along the path of faith. And so the question, why? Why does God hide? Well, first consider this. There is a sense in which God must hide from us in the mystery and the majesty of his being. For how could our little finite minds and feeble spirits possibly grasp the infinite creator and sustainer of all that is? What kind of a God would he be whom we could completely comprehend, whose movements in nature and history were all known to us, and whose being provoked no suggestion either of shuddering awe or of impenetrable mystery? A totally obvious God would be wholly inadequate. Oh, to be sure, that is the only God that some people have. They talk to him and of him as if he were a man on the street with a glib familiarity that borders on blasphemy. And they easily assume or presume to know everything about God that there is to know. But their God is not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is never obvious. His ways are not as our ways. His thoughts are not as our thoughts. His judgments are an abyss. Listen to the wondering cry of St. Paul. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments. And his ways past finding out. And it must be so. It must always be so. We can be plain and precise and specific while we are dealing with what is finite, but as soon as we begin to touch the fringe of the infinite, there is, as the poet has expressed, the deep beyond the deep and a height beyond the height, and our hearing is not hearing and our seeing is not sight. Gentlemen, Professor James Denny would say to his seminary students, they were all men in those days, of course, some of whom fondly imagined that their theological studies would be all over in the space of three years. Gentlemen, he would say, to study infinity requires eternity. Why does God hide, we ask? Forgetting that the God of the Bible is a God who deliberately hides himself beyond, behind clouds and thick darkness, as the psalmist put it, for if he did not so hide himself, we would be utterly consumed by him. And moreover, if God were always obvious, even to eyes which are clouded by unbelief and sin, he would not be God at all, but an idol of our own devising. Jesus did teach us to address God familiarly as our Father. But he added to that address the qualifying phrase, who art in heaven, so that we might always be aware of the remoteness and the otherness and the transcendence of the God who graciously allows us to experience him here on earth. 
Yes, God, God is a being shrouded in mystery, an infinite being beyond the scope of our finite minds, whose judgments are unsearchable and whose ways are past finding out. His very hiddenness makes him God, don't you see? That is the truth that we must learn, the truth that makes us tremble even to take his holy name upon our lips if we are going to discover God as he actually is. A God who created this boundless universe with stars as numerous as the sands on the sea. Can, can you imagine that? Then two, understand that the fact that God is surrounded by clouds and thick darkness, is not an occasion for despair, but rather of hope and joy. You see, life would lack much of its incentive if we could uh, track all of the hidden secrets, for it is precisely the hidden things of God that lure us. Just as the mystery of the stars and the planets lure us to the science of astronomy and space travel, and just as the mystery of, the, of matter lures us to the science of physics and the mystery of the body to the science of biology and chemistry, and just as the mystery of the human mind lures us to the study of, of psychology, so the mystery of God lures us to the study of theology and the practice of faith. This is what happened to Job. In the midst of his bewilderment over the mysterious hiding of God, he was finally led to say, he knows the way that I go. And when he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. You see, faith finds the answer to the problem of God's hiddenness, for faith holds to the ultimate purpose of God's grandeur and knowledge and love. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. That is the invincible hope that has fortified the company of the faithful down throughout the generations. The God who sometimes seems to be hiding never ceases to be at work bringing good out of evil and silently transforming the suffering of those that he loves into something marvelous beyond our imagining. When he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. Then, too, it has been suggested that God purposely hides himself so that we shall look for him where he is actually to be found. Sometimes we're looking for him in the wrong places and avoid looking for him in the right places. Our trouble is very often that we expect to find God only in the lovely experiences of life. When we stand in a majestic mountain valley and watch the sun going down behind the snow-capped peaks in a blaze of glory, then we say that we feel close to God. Or when our hopes are fulfilled and all of our plans succeed, then we say that God has been very good to us. Or when we feel physically strong and know ourselves surrounded by human love and laughter, then we say that we are face to face with God. But that was not the experience of the people who wrote the Bible. They were realists. They too looked for God in beauty and success and happiness and prosperity, but they also expected to find him in ugliness and failure and sorrow. 
They saw God not, not only in the sunshine, but in the storm. Not only in plenty, but in famine. Not only in health, but in sickness. Not only in victory, but defeat. They recognized God in life's sterner as well as pleasanter aspects. And they saw his relationship with them, not merely in terms of comfort, but also in terms of human growth. Or there are those who suppose that God has nothing to do with trouble. It's the point of view of many who look out at uh, out today on the world's hunger and suffering and violence and ask indignantly, where has God gone? Why doesn't he put in an appearance and do something about it all? But surely that, that betrays a mistaken idea of God. It supposes that God is an external factor whom we can bring to bear from the outside on our troubles if we but pray hard enough. But the Bible teaches that God is an internal factor, always at work within our human affairs, and that many of our troubles are the result of our refusal to recognize him and to work along with his purpose, and thus we'd be better off if we stopped telling God what he ought to do and tried to cooperate with him in what he has already done and is doing even now. But more than that, what useless, helpless Creatures we humans would be with God breaking in to automatically solve our every problem. A certain absence of God is essential to human growth and the development of our resources. His hiddenness is his way of giving people responsibility and of putting the question on our desk saying, you do it, you work it out. Who would want to live in a world where everything was done too much revelation, too much divine intrusion? would leave us without an occupation. How often Jesus emphasized in his parables both the absence and the presence of God. Jesus said on one occasion, the kingdom of God is like a man taking a journey into a far country, the absence of God, if you will, calling his servants together and giving them talents and saying, you work it out. Some years ago, Dr. Arthur Compton of the University of Chicago looked at this hiddenness of God and discerned its meaning with significant insight, I think. He expressed his belief that the Divine Father is gradually shifting control of this planet to the shoulders of his sons and daughters as fast as they can take it. Just as any earthly father must develop responsibility within his children by giving them more and more of it to handle, so it is with God in his relationship to us who are his children. That's what science means, he thinks. Through these uh, new insights, century after century, God is putting new power in our hands, new light in our minds, compelling us to grow wise in the use of it and have dominion in the earth. That makes better sense than cynicism, doesn't it? And comes nearer to the message of the Bible. Well, much more could be said on this subject, obviously, but time doesn't permit except to say that finally it should be made clear that the hiddenness of God is not always his doing. For while it is true that God does hide himself and for good reasons, as we've already indicated, he has also marvelously revealed himself to us in Jesus Christ. 
Jesus, we are told in the scripture, is the express image of the invisible God. And thus, those of whom we spoke at the outset, who go carelessly through life with God completely hidden from view, have only themselves to blame. Isaiah warned the people of his day, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you. It was the prophet's way of telling his people that sometimes they did not see God because they had destroyed their own ability to see him. He went on to tell them that pride and gluttony and deceit and dishonesty had blinded the eyes of their souls so that they could not and would not see God even if he stood directly in front of them. The principle is timeless and in its application universal, namely that evil carries with it its own obscuring of spiritual realities. Of course, of all spiritual things, it is true that now we see through a glass darkly. But the sinful character of our lives increases that obscurity, don't you see? Listen to this. For herein lies the ultimate solution to the problem of the hiddenness of God. Jesus once said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Yes, goodness, according to Jesus, is the primary source of spiritual clear-sightedness. And thank God, Christ's supreme gift to human beings, is the gift of a cleansed heart that enables us to see God. When we truly repent of our sins and believe, when our hearts have been cleansed by God's grace, made pure by God's grace, not by any righteousness of our own, but by God's grace, then we shall see God in Jesus Christ, revealed in all of his love and grace and goodness and glory. And this glorious 
beatific vision is granted neither to the sharp-witted or to the high and the mighty, but to the simple-hearted, to the lowly and penitent, and therefore pure in heart. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we confess that we are often bewildered by the fact that you hide yourself. But at the same time, we are comforted by the realization that this very hiddenness is not an occasion for despair, but hope, for it bespeaks your grandeur. And moreover, we are grateful for the revelation of yourself in Jesus Christ made available to the pure in heart, not by virtue of our own righteousness, but the righteousness that is imputed and imparted to us by grace through faith. And thus it is that we can come to see you in all of your grandeur and goodness and love. In Jesus' name we pray and give thanks. Amen.